My name's Taylor Royak, and someday I hope to be an old crazy runner. Welcome to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. I'm Fundy, the craziest of crazy runners, and I have Nicholas here, the oldest of the craziest runners, and we're all a little bit faster this week. We are, well, we're all a little bit faster, but some of us are, are quite a bit faster. Uh, I was going to say I was the only sub-150 half-marathoner, <laughs> but I don't get to say that anymore. Until you, last week. Until last week, that's right. So you put on your brand new sneakers. I did against your advice. Against my my stern advice, I stern, would, it was I would, quite stern advice. I, I was I was quite adamant that that was the right way to go. Uh, fortunately, it was bad advice. Well, it, you know, it was good advice, but uh, I just you have to do these things on your own feel, and they felt good, and I felt ready to switch over to the new shoes, and they felt faster. So I decided, what the hell? Well, they proved to be faster indeed. So we ran the Pharaoh uh, Half Marathon, the virtual Pharaoh Half Marathon, on Sunday along with Scotty G, who got his run Oyo yeah. checked off the list. Uh, so we ran a couple different routes together. Uh, I ran with Scotty, so we ran that run Oyo-specific uh, route once again, which included the Tillicum and the Hawthorne. And I was trying, I was really going for a new PR, so I definitely skipped two bridges. Well, kind of, <laughs> you kind of, because we, we had a little uh, hiccup in there. They had closed the steel. We didn't even know about that. Yeah, we didn't know about that. So if you're ever running in Portland, you run downtown loop, there's the lower deck of the steel bridge, which is basically flat. You just right. run. It's like running across the sidewalk that crosses the uh, river, or you can do the upper deck, which is a shitty climb. It's yeah, it's not, you know, a, a lot of actual vertical, but especially from the west side going east, it's a pretty steep. Yeah, uh, it's just, you know, right up to the top there. Uh, and especially when the entire time you've been thinking about the run all the way up until you get to that locked gate, yeah. you are thinking, I don't have to do that. Yeah, you're <laughs> expecting flat and you do not get flat. No, so no, uh, that's not good. But that did not. Did that it? didn't that, that didn't stall you. You just uh, turned around, went right up over the deck and just kept going. So uh, my goal was to do a sub 153. And uh, I was cruising along and Chris White got his PR along with me. We basically ran the whole thing together and we were cruising along and I was uh, sub 830 paced almost the entire time. And I just was like, we just let's just keep this going. And um, I was just looking at the mile marker on my watch. So I wasn't looking at my total time. Right. And it wasn't until I stopped my watch and glanced down. And I was like, oh, sweet. Sub 150. Right. Right. And the one thing that you had never done is to look at. If you wanted to run a sub one fifty, what is that miles pace? So you yeah. didn't have that marker in your head to just go, oh, I'm no. I'm right there. Uh, which interesting, we've heard from a number of our guests about some of their best runs are when they are not really thinking about it. Yeah, they just let it happen. And one thing that I was doing repeatedly as I as I was running, you know, you can feel yourself when you get to those moments of uh, things le seem a little difficult, or I feel like I'm slowing down a bit is just really focusing on my posture and form and getting my body leaning forward. And that's all I did. And, and bringing, my, uh, bringing my arms in, my elbows in a little, make sure I'm not swinging my arms across my body. Well, that, that's interesting because that sounds exactly like the same advice from Coach Pat I followed when I ran <laughs> my 146 yeah. uh, uh, back uh, in October. Shockingly enough, and uh, also a big shout out uh, to Coach Bob Larson because I feel like a lot of this came because I added uh, one day a week to my running. 
one day a week. Also, I would point out that Bob, Coach Bob Larson is very much on mechanics and would also have said yep. when you get later in the race mm-hmm. uh, or as you're moving along, when you need to refocus, you need to go back to those basics yep. and put that in there. So you ended up running an 823, which yep. is your, your mile time. Fantastic. Which uh, if you would have told me beginning of summer that uh, I was going to do an 823, I would have just you would, said you're crazy. There's yeah, no way. No way. And uh, you had no intention of even trying to, to make that happen. Yeah. You weren't focused uh, on it at all. Not at all. You were more than happy to actually sit at about an 845. In fact, I kept saying, I was totally, <laughs> I, was, I was just going to sit there the rest of my life. Just 845. That's me. And now you can't. Now you're below 830 on a half marathon. You can't go above 830 again. No. I know. It's no. crazy. Yeah. Uh, so um, on our end for Scotty G and I, I, I did, I looked at his uh, PR, which yep. was in August, and that was a 151.35. Yeah. And we got to the steel bridge. And we, so for the Pharaoh, it didn't matter what you ran. You just yeah. had to run the distance. But for the Oyo, he had to run the actual route, which was not the lower deck. Yeah. Which is cool. And Oyo probably didn't notice that they were closing the lower uh, deck and... They they had an inclination that it could happen because yeah. he Scotty G had received an email that said, hey, if this is the case, yeah. then you, this is what you do. We didn't come up to the marathon because I'm sure at that point there was no indication it was going to be closed. So they, they kind yeah. of primed him. Yeah. He wasn't too, he didn't know it was going to be that day. Yeah. But he knew he that wasn't shocked or whatever. He wasn't shocked. Um, but we did stop. Uh, take the camera out, take a picture of the gate. It's locked, you know, just kind of document it so that we make sure yeah. it gets certified. And then took off. So that was, you know, that added a couple minutes. And then as we're going along the way, I'm thinking, well, we still want to keep our pace. And we were right on that. Yeah. We were like a 828 something as yep. we got to that, uh, uh, the steel bridge. And as we're slowly getting farther and farther down, I realize we're chipping away. We're still going to make that PR even nice. without having to pull those back. So we hit it like right just on right the there. Dot. Yeah, we we beat his PR by about 20 seconds. Nice. So, uh, set a new one. <laughs> good enough. Good enough. And came in at 829. Our goal was 830. Yep. Uh, so, right on where we needed to be. And what I felt personally, very comfortable. My heart rate was in that 130, 140 zone all the way until nice. about mile 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, mile 10 meant going over the Tillicum. And I was starting to feel I had taken this... Slower pace, a little too yeah. lackadaisical. It wasn't quite as fueled as I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, still kept that our pace where we needed it, but my heart rate shot up. You were just feeling it a little I'm, bit. Yeah, I'm in zone five <laughs> for the last uh, two or three miles. And then I was a little more sore. To, yeah, yeah, yeah a little that. sore. Yeah, my quads were a little sore. Uh, I was landing a little heavy on my uh, in front of my foot, I think, there towards the end. Right. Uh, but so... What we'd love to hear, though, is that uh, listeners out there, if you got a new PR uh, last month, uh, you're working towards something, shoot us a message because we'd love to feature that here on the podcast for you and give you a little shout out. Because at this point in the game and, you know, everything out there, it's all about us setting our own goals for us and doing them on our own as races are canceled, you know, or with friends, etc., And we have uh, a new goal that we've set for this month, and I encourage everybody to set their own crazy, wacky goals. Maybe you'd like to talk about our uh, goal coming up. Uh, Absolutely. I think included with that goal is to point out we've um, set up an old crazy runner group on Strava. 
Yes. So please, if you use Strava, go out there and uh, request to join or join the group. We'd yep. love to uh, track along. Yeah, uh, it's and actually a run club. It's run a club. club. So go to the clubs and search for old crazy runners and you can join in. And then uh, you can show uh, Nicholas and I how slow we are and that we're not running enough miles. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we would love to see that also provide us some great feedback. And if you're inclined to join in the challenge that we've put for ourselves for this month, uh, we would also love to see your results yeah. there. So uh, Fundy brought this up uh, last week about setting a PR for his 5K distance, but during a longer run and recognizing I could probably do way better than that if I just ran a 5K. We haven't like just sat and yeah. pushed all out three miles start and stop yeah. and really see what we can do. Uh, so I'm really, really interested in that. And we're going to definitely go forward with it. And we'll, we'll keep it in the, uh, the run club so that everyone can see where our results are. I think we need to do, you know, maybe a couple things around that. Um, well, first, we're going to find a flat course. First, got to find a good course because we definitely want to set it up. And by good, flat. Good, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was thinking about it as far as uh, overall metrics. I want to run a 730 or better. Gotcha. For my mile. I believe you can run a 750. I was thinking, uh, so definitely sub eight, 750 is good with a stretch goal of 745. Yes. So that would break the 25 minute easy. Yeah. My current record is right at 25. Um, and that was at the middle of a five and a half mile run. So I should, and, and had some elevation in it. So I should definitely be able to crush that. Right. So, uh, definitely we need to sit back and find out what some of the other guys, what their paces are looking at and, and, and see how excited they are to get out there and do it. It's a much different sense when we look at three. I mean, three miles is like a just a warm up run um, as far as distance goes. And rarely do we just run that set distance. Yeah. All out. Well, and in order to do that, we're going to have to do some pretty significant uh, warm ups. Right. You don't want to just do a cold start right at the beginning uh, trying to get that that first mile. Who knows what will happen? Very true. And that, that is a good point. We synovial have, fluid. Synovial fluid. <laughs> uh, and, and warm up correctly, not necessarily stretching, getting the blood flow to the muscles. Because yeah. um, you're exactly right. If we want to, you got to get out of the gate on this. You don't have to super, I mean, you probably, no. the first 100, 200 meters or so, you can just kind of get into it. Yeah, maybe it do a so. slow jog for a couple hundred meters pre-warm up just to kind of get things moving, get the mechanics going, all of that, and then just take off. It, yeah, because uh, I've done that just right out of the gate, took off a little too hard. And that's yeah. when you feel something in your flexor, <laughs> something silly like that. Um, but it's good. We're going get to get out there and we're going to refocus on that because one of the things that we both felt following the half on Sunday was that letdown. Yeah. So uh, we all know that the world uh, kind of sucks right now. Um, we are in the midst of a pandemic that seems to be going out of control in the U.S. at least. And, uh, you know, it's pretty mentally taxing from the day to day. I had a really shitty Wednesday for no reason. Nothing changed, really. I just woke up and was just felt really uh, down in the dumps just all day just because of the, the way the world was in. Uh, but I still went out. I did my run. Yeah, it didn't fix everything. I felt a little bit better. Uh, but today I feel really good again. And I think that really comes from that day in, day out doing the running and uh, what we spoke of before is that consistent running gives you that longevity fuel so that when you hit those bumps along the road, it carries you through to the other side. Uh, Definitely. And for me, this week was a challenge because my schedule had me coming home 
not late, but after dark. Yeah. And I haven't turned that corner just yet of getting uh, my headgear out and the stuff that I need to, to, to be running uh, yeah. uh, in the dark. And so I didn't get the miles in, but going to your point, I know what that longevity looks like. I've mm-hmm. been doing this long enough that I know how to work through a week and get back to it. But it made me think about those that are considering just getting running right now or who haven't had that consistency of running to know that, that you know, see a week as a blip instead of seeing a week as a chasm. And so I, I came across a link that I thought would be a good thing for us to kind of talk through. And it was uh, all about uh, wanting to run, but not like running. This is perfect. So I had a buddy online reach out to me, Dave Moss. He's up in Canada. Okay. So uh, if you know, we are in Oregon. So the farther north you get, the earlier it gets dark, right? It's getting dark here at like 345, maybe. Uh, well, probably four o'clock, yeah. something like that. <laughs> like it's dark. Like once you hit five o'clock, it's nighttime outside yes. and cold. So getting out there running is tough. He's up in, in Calgary, Canada. Right. So it's even worse. So this is perfect uh, for everybody out there. But also I wanted to uh, give uh, Dave a little nudging to listen along to this part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, the article kind of broke it down into two easy camps, you know, people that actually enjoy running and people who see it much more as a chore. And uh, if you see it as a chore and you are at the point of just getting started, it provided some tips on how to uh, break into that, that nice that cycle. Nice. And so, I haven't seen these tips, so uh, Nicholas is going to read them off, and I am going to uh, quickfire judge them. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking you actually made a personal post earlier this week that is very relevant where you said to learn to enjoy the process, yeah. not the results. you got to fall in love with the process. If you, you fall in love with the results, uh, it's time like these in the winter where you just stop. And if uh, for me that results means I finished my race on Sunday and – now there's what's next, you know, get to that. So I think this is very uh, relevant to that. So the first one is going for a run doesn't have to mean running the whole time. Yeah. And if you're just getting started, this is so important. I did this probably for the first two or three years, most of my runs, that is, that was the approach I took. Yeah. And, uh, for most years when I don't run really hard through the winter, I think I'm going to make it through this winter, but it's restarting every spring. Yes. Right. I did, you know, we did hood to coast last year and did, uh, I did two half marathons last year was cruising along, but I still had to, uh, once March or April rolled around, I had to work in those run walks. Exactly. It never leaves you. It it doesn't. And you know, I've gotten to the point where I can, I've, I'm, my yearly cycle is strong enough. I hadn't hit that downtrend, but it really is about just listening to your body and doing what it's, do what it's asking of you. Because the most important thing is that you're getting out there and getting it done. All right. So we both agree we like that one. Yep. Uh, think of time instead of distance. That I struggle with. <laughs> yes, I do. But I think it's great advice. It is great advice. It's especially good when uh, you are just getting started. And I think when you're just getting started, you compare your pace to everybody else's. And it's really something you shouldn't be doing. It agreed. And pace is obviously a metric of distance. And so if you erase that part, pace yep. goes away and it's just about how much time you're spending out there. If you're out running, walking, run, walking, jogging, sprinting, whatever, if you do an hour of that, you did an hour. That's what's yeah. most important. Yeah. So get out, you know, just plan at least a half an hour. 
you know, if you're just starting, do half hour, 40 minutes during the week and 50 minutes to 60 minutes on the weekend. And that's going to build your stamina up. Exactly. And if you need something that's 60 minutes long, well, you just upload this podcast and off you go. And there you go. (laughs) So we we like that as well. Uh, Okay. This one, try an audio guided run. So uh, I am a big uh, fan of the Ease Into 5K and the Ease Into 10K apps. There's also the Couch to 5K. Uh, the ease into ones I just kind of like better. I don't know why. Whatever. I've not used Choose. either of those, by the way. So, but those are guided runs where you uh, basically put your headphones on. It says, "Okay, run for a minute," and you're like, "Do do 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 do," and then it beeps and it's like, oh, "Okay, walk for thirty seconds," and then you do that and it beeps. So basically, it's doing that run walk for you. Okay. Uh, but then there are also guided runs which I hate. Okay. <laughs> which are basically there, basically as a, a coach in your ear, and it's like every you know ten minutes, like okay, you're doing great, you can do this, and oh, then we can yeah. do this and stuff like that. So, uh, yes and no on that one for right, me. Right, right. That that the latter sounds like uh, what something Richard Simmons might do. Just <laughs> wouldn't be interested in that at all. Um, that segues into the uh, next piece of advice, which is play around with intervals. And I know you're really gonna have a hard time with that, <laughs> but you're doing it. Um, well, I'm not quite doing intervals yet. I have trouble intervals. I have a lot of problems speeding my pace up and slowing my pace down within a run. So I'm getting better at doing a slower run. Okay. Where I say, hey, I'm going to do a nine minute mile uh, on this run to keep it there instead of pushing myself to the 830s or 820s. But modulating between an 820 and a nine minute mile within the same run is very hard for me. I know I need to learn how to do it, though. Agreed. Uh, my critique here is I don't think this advice belongs in this particular column. Yeah, I this think, is more of an advanced thing. Well, if not necessarily an advanced, but this is more of guidance for those who have a goal they want to get to, as yeah. opposed to um, what are some good tips to just help you get out there and, and enjoy the process. Yeah. Um, intervals is no way to learn no, to enjoy the process. because intervals fucking suck. You're not going to enjoy that process. No. So don't listen to that. Yeah, was that I, I think uh, tip four. Uh, I think that was tip. Five. Was that tip five? Um, no, that was four. Okay. That's yeah. four. Screw tip four. Okay, yeah, screw tip four. <laughs> tip five is much better. Okay. Let the rhythm take over. Uh, that's good. I think that's really good advice. Yep. Uh, you did that on Sunday. You you didn't really, you had you had ideas, you had goals. Oh, another you thing on Sunday is I had a technical kerfuffle and I had no music. And my oh, music you is never what I say anything about. Yeah. That. So how, my, how soon in or how long did from you? From the very beginning. So oh. I basically. Oh, that's why you stopped. That's why I stopped briefly just to check uh, and it wasn't working. I was like, screw it. And I just took off. So I had no uh, music to get my, which I use for my pacing. Yes. And so I just had to use my own breath for pacing and uh, it worked. Interesting. I have had similar situations. Uh, wasn't, I've had music go out on me yeah. as well. And as much as I think I could never do it, of course you can run. Yeah, it's music. totally fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, where I've had and exceeded my goals is when I've lost the um, mile marker information in my head. So I don't yeah. know what my pace yeah. is. So you've got to, you're like, well, I don't quite know. I'm going to push just a little harder just to make sure oh. I don't miss it. Uh, or actually in that moment, what I said was, I'm just going to do what feels good. Yeah. Well, felt what felt good was actually a pretty yeah. solid pace. So let the rhythm take over. I think that's excellent advice. That is. I um, have uh, tip six, uh, okay. which is really good uh, in the winter and also for people who hate running is instead of, so First thing you have to do is set up a calendar and write down when you're going to run on the calendar. That right? is, you make it accountable. Yeah. And if you when when that day arrives and you really don't feel like running, say, "Okay, well, maybe I won't go for a run, but I'll just put my running gear on." 
Oh, right. You right? said that. So yes. you trick your brain. Yes. Right. So you say, I'm just going to put my running gear on and you just put your, your gear on and your shoes on, but maybe I won't go run. Uh, once you have that gear on, your, your brain does the next step for you. Right. So you, just a little trick. Uh, I am actually taking advantage of that trick right now because before I came over here, I have my running gear on right now. <laughs> nice. Over my head and then just sweats because my goal is to take advantage of this absolutely stunning, beautiful day. Oh my day God, it is and beautiful. And get a nice run along the waterfront and I'm going to do that because I have my gear on. Nice. I'm going to sneak in tip number seven. We're going to channel Velma, one of our favorite people. Oh, Velma's the best. This is the perfect time <laughs> to remember. It's never too late to start, yep. but it's always too early to finish. Always to too early always to quit. Too early. Yep. So, um, yeah, kudos to everyone that's trying to get out there right now. Yep. It's super hard. And if you're struggling with uh, getting out there and you are making progress, drop us a message off the website, oldcrazyrunners.com, because uh, we'd love to cheer you on. We, we absolutely would. So one of the things that we've talked about regarding actually getting out there is what it means to be on the course itself, not just metrics and running and all that but interacting with the community and the people. And unfortunately, at times, the safety issues that can come with that. Yeah, so we were very lucky. We reached out to Runners Alliance, and uh, they put us in touch with one of the founders, Taylor Royick, who was a producer of a wonderful documentary, Not Today. Taylor is an associate editor at Bicycling and Runners World. Uh, She's been there since 2014. She was nominated uh, for American Magazine Award in 2017, She's a runner. She runs uh, short distances and long distances up to marathons. She also bicycles. And uh, recently she's got into uh, trail running with her dog. Oh, yeah. And uh, she makes badass Halloween costumes, which we'll get to uh, in this interview also. She does. So uh, in this episode, we focus on safety issues uh, for women or uh, people who uh, might experience uh, safety issues out on the road. You know, it's not a a happy topic sometime, but no. we get in the end, we get to that moment of hope and how we as a community can work together to make the running community safer for everybody. That's part of our community. And I think you're going to love this episode. Let's get to Taylor. Today. We are lucky enough to have an actual professional editor from runner's world, Taylor Royak. Welcome Taylor. Hi guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Yes. Thank you for being here. So we are going to dive into a lot of stuff today. We're going to talk about um, one thing that we're really excited about is uh, the Runners Alliance and getting the message out to the Runners Alliance and then also um, the film that you produced. And we want to get to that. But first, we want to dive in and find out who you are as a runner. Sure. So how long have you been running? Uh, Did you run in college? What's what are your favorite uh, lengths to run? Uh, marathons? Are you one of these super crazy people that does ultra marathons? I don't even understand that. (laughs) Uh, Sure. So I have been running um, since the fifth grade. I joined the cross country team uh, at my school and I've kind of not stopped since. (laughs) Um, So it's been, you know, I guess like two thirds of my life at this point. Um, but as far as like what I like to do um, currently, like I'm not really competing that much. Uh, I just like to go out and run with my dog, especially like we have a really great trail system by our house that like I, you know, will take her out in the mornings before work and she gets to go off leash and go all crazy and I get to get a workout in. So that's really great for me. So uh, I heard the word competing. So uh, how competitive were you uh, before? Um, You know, I've had like periods of my life where I've um, 
been very personally competitive. Like I wouldn't say that I've ever been like, you know, a front of the pack runner or like a, you know, I didn't run in college. I was a competitive cyclist then. Um, but I was always running for fitness kind of. So, um, yeah, you know, like I've always, I've been competitive with myself at various times, but like currently I'm just, you know, running for fun. Well, that's the best thing to do. I mean, running for fun (laughs) is the best way to run. In a way you also run for your occupation. And I mean, yeah. I'm curious how, what was your, what was your path into being a uh, part of runner's world and your experience with, uh, with that side of the culture? Yeah. So it's kind of an indirect path. I would say like, like I said, I was a competitive cyclist, uh, when I was in college. Um, so I started working at bicycling magazine after I had graduated. Um, and then like, after I had been there for a couple years, they ended up like bicycling and runner's world were owned by the same company. So they ended up, um, kind of combining our staffs and having us work on both magazines, which I was stoked about because, you know, I was like, this is great. I'd always wanted to work with runner's world, but like, we didn't really get an opportunity before they did that. Um, so yeah, then I, I got more involved in working on runner's world projects and and like testing shoes and gear and stuff. So that's been really fun. Oh my God. You get to test shoes. I know. <laughs> <We just Yeah. laughs> Nicholas and I's eyes just both like lit up and there might've been some salivating. <laughs> so. You know, it's, it's been like testing shoes is really difficult for me uh, because like I was always the kind of runner who like, uh, I would buy the same shoes and like run in those and then buy the new version of that shoe. <laughs> exactly. and, and like, because like, I didn't want to like experiment too much. If I had something that worked, like you don't want to really take a chance on like something that might not work for you. Um, so to like have completely new and different shoes from brands that I had never tried was like really kind of overwhelming and like being able to like suss out those specific details of what's different about a shoe and like, okay, well, like, you know, does it feel springy or cushy and (laughs) adjectives? It's like, wow, this is, it's, it's a very specific skill set. One thing that we mentioned last week when we were talking about uh, some gear is the fun marketing terms that uh, running companies come up with. Like, you know, uh, Dynaloft plus is our favorite because we (laughs) run in in Brooks or, you know, 360 degree ventilation. Right. Uh, The the guardrails, guardrails on our shoes. Yes. So uh, what have you settled on uh, now that you're no longer doing all these uh, testing and samples? What are you running? You know, I love Brooks Ghosts. They just like work really well for me. Uh, And I have like pretty big feet. So like, I don't know, like that's always kind of a concern of mine that they're just going to fit correctly and like have the size that I need. So uh, those are I love those, but I'm also running in a pair of Hoka's at the moment. Um, the pro flies that I really like too. Okay. Nice. I just learned how that Hoka was one, one instead of one. Yes. one. I just <laughs> like a little known fact, I think, but yeah, Hoka one, one, I believe oh. it's a, a Maori, um, term. I, I, yeah, I think so. Um, so, uh, one of the things that I love about Brooks is how they drop their new colors and styles throughout the year. Did yes. you see the new ghost styles that they dropped yesterday? I did not. No. Oh. What have they got? Oh, it's uh, they're so shiny and bright. <laughs> you just got to <laughs> you just got to go check them out. They're really good. I will. Uh, and then you also mentioned that you love to get out and run with your dog. And yeah. uh, as both of us being owners of dogs that would like run. You can't are you run. Kidding? <laughs> Uh, 
what type of dog do you have? And, uh, you know, what's that like having that companion out there in that space? I mean, I just, I, I have a hard time really relating to it. Yeah. Um, my dog, uh, her name is Rosie, um, but she is a Norwegian elk hound mix. Oh, wow. Um, which is smaller than you would expect. Most people don't know what that dog looks like, but uh, she's about 35 pounds. Um, so, and, you know, she's really great on trails. And that was something that I like really wanted to train her specifically to do is like run and mountain bike with me and have her be off leash and like kind of stick around with me. Um, and she's so good at it. Like, it's so much fun to be able to see her like kind of go nuts uh, off leash and like run around and get all her crazies out. Uh, but if I take her out on the streets, she gets bored so quickly and yeah. is just not interested in running anymore. <laughs> so, uh, I have to like keep that in mind. If I, you know, take her on a on leash run, she doesn't have the attention span for it. So when you're on the road, how, how long can she go before she's just out? You know, it's usually about two miles and she's like, eh. I'm done with this. So then she wants to stop and sniff things and, you know, so. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep the dog section in the gear section, but, uh, going on other gear, do you, uh, what's your favorite, uh, running watch or do you run with your phone or what's, uh, what's your technology that you're running with? Yeah, I have a Garmin Forerunner uh, <laughs> that has like, uh, God, I'm not even sure what the number is on it, but I, it has like the music capabilities that you can like download your playlist to it. Um, which is, is great. But honestly, most of the time I just end up bringing my phone and the Strava app because I'm just kind of lazy about it. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and fair. I always forget to charge the watch and, you know, my phone's always right there and it's ready to go. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, that's great. I've gotten so used to just not wanting, uh, just being able to disconnect entirely. So I've, yeah. I have the Apple watch and I love that once I'm out of reach, then I'm out of reach. Uh, but I can feel comfortable being that disconnected as well, which is, um, you know, another part of why we wanted you to come on here. So funny, you'd mentioned the Runners Alliance. And uh, I think as we talk about the technology and what we take with us, that's a, that's a good point to kind of transition into what that Runners Alliance is really focused on and what is the important values that you're trying to, to bring home. Sure. Um, so I'm actually going to start with a statistic and tell you that 84% of women have been harassed while running. Um, it's a huge number. It's, it's, you know, it's high time we did something about it. Um, so Runners World partnered with Women's Health and Hoka Oneone to create the Runners Alliance, um, which is a program that's designed to make the world safer for women who run. Um, and that's, you know, something that's a really important distinction that I want to bring up. And it's about making running safer. It's not about arming women to go out for a run. You know, it's not about teaching you how to use pepper spray so that you can defend yourself if you need to. Um, it's about like, how can we actually change our sport to make it safer and more welcoming for women and for all people that experience harassment? Yeah. And one thing we were just discussing, uh, Nicholas and I were just discussing that stat, um, before, uh, we got you on for a conversation and I can only imagine that of that 80%, the people who are repeatedly harassed in some sense is, is enormous also. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, like that harassment can range from things that like are upsetting, but not, um, you know, like not life-changing to 
being attacked, being assaulted, to being followed, to being, you know, killed while running. So yeah. it kind of like runs the gamut on a level of seriousness. Yeah. And in all honesty, the the people who are uh, harassing or attacking are vastly men. So it really falls on male runners to really educate ourselves and 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 make uh you know we're responsible for a vast majority of this um so uh, you know i think that's really important yeah absolutely and i'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that it's really good to be aware of and i think that more men need to be aware of that and cognizant of that when they're running because it's possible that you can make women feel uncomfortable while running like not by doing anything that you perceive as threatening, but because women are often on high alert when running, um, it can be, you know, it can be really scary. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about some of those things. Um, one of the things that we will put in the show notes is the link to the Runners Alliance. And there are uh, a number of things that all of us can do uh, to make running safer for everybody. And mm-hmm. um, could you talk about some of those things that are recommended uh, for men while we're out running to not uh, basically to make sure that that safe bubble uh, for another runner isn't uh, intruded upon. Sure. And like you said, you know, we have the runnersworld.com slash runners alliance. Um, and it has like kind of a list of resources uh, that you can reference about how to make running safer for women. And one of those um, is an article about how men can make, you know, women more comfortable while, while running. And it's a lot of it is common sense stuff, but it's like I said, you know, it's stuff that you have to be aware of and have to be thinking about while you're running. And it's, you know, do not sneak up. Like if, you know, you're running behind a woman and she has headphones in, like, just be aware that you need to like make your presence known, like call out when you're, you know, a couple feet back and just say, Hey, I'm going to pass you on your right or something like that, because it's really alarming to have somebody like abruptly overtake you like that. Um, and it can like really give you a, a huge jolt of adrenaline. Um, and even when you're passing somebody, you know, this has become like, I guess a little bit more uh, top of mind during COVID times, but like leave a bubble, you know, like go to the side a couple of feet. Again, you don't want to surprise someone. You don't want to sneak up on them. Um, and always keep conversations respectful. Like you should never, <laughs> It's it's a good rule of thumb, but don't say something to a woman that you wouldn't say to a man. So don't be commenting on her body or expressing surprise at her pace or things like that, because that can be very threatening and also very belittling. Um, and just, you know, be be aware of what you're saying and doing, how it can be construed as you're having these interactions. Yeah, and I think the, uh, the comment you, na- you made about already being on high alert is really what uh, kind of sticks out for me because as a runner, I mean, I've had somebody pass me and it surprises me. Obviously it comes right out of your peripheral vision, but that was the end of it. I was, Oh, surprise. Something went by me. Oh, look how fast that person is. They're taking <laughs> There's, there was no threat or sense of danger or no continuation of that surprise or that, that adrenaline. It just, it was a moment. And I, have to remember that that's not the case for everybody else on the course. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that, that I've always been particularly aware of, especially as I'm approaching somebody whose pace is just a bit slower than mine, is yep. that appropriateness of when do I need to kick it in? I try and give them a good 10 feet 
behind them when I start to pass off to the side so mm-hmm. that I'm clearly not in just right behind them. Or if there's a crowd coming in, I have to gauge when I'm going past them. Being aware that in those that few minutes where I'm still trying to half pace, I've got to just pull it back yeah. and, and, and really not even come across uh, in, in any way. And, and I, don't, I don't know if it's not that hard to say anything besides I'm on your left. And then not try and converse at all. <laughs> you know, just there's really nothing that needs to be said other than, um, you know, if they got a Hood to Coast shirt on, I'm going to yell out Hood to Coast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. Uh, are you aware of Hood to Coast? I'm not. No, I've heard of it, but I'm. OK. You know. Yeah. It's it's you put it on your bucket list. This is one of the funnest things ever to do <laughs> yeah. ever okay. in the world of running. <laughs> So, and I would like to talk about uh, personal experiences. This happened, I, I want to say it happened before COVID, but uh, since I'm old, I can't quite remember when it happened. But I was having one of those days where I was, you know, I had a lot of stress at work and I was out for a run and I just zoned out and I right. was completely unaware of myself. And I accidentally passed a woman like right on her shoulder and mm-hmm. scared the crap out of her. And, you know, I, you know, apologized profu- profusely. And I just, that was a moment when I just kind of let my awareness down and uh, the effect that it had on her. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it scared the crap out of her and I'm sure she, you know, her heart was racing for a number of minutes after that. And uh, what a big effect that we can have on other people without running and just to, you know, do our very best to always be aware of our surrounding, what's going on. And I do think with what's happening with COVID, it's it's kind of made us more aware and and how to uh, run around people. Yeah, I think so too. I also think that we carry, um, and by we I mean everybody that that's out there is uh, you know just being more aware of the external environments that each of us are passing or not passing. You're zoned out. Yeah. So you know, maybe I need to see that that person is standing there kind of awkwardly and mm-hmm. be willing and ready to, to, to interject in that moment. Yeah. Uh, cause mm-hmm. there's a lot of extra stuff that's just happening. And if each of us are in our headphones, cause that's where I'm at. Um, it, we have to build that cumulative effect of being focused on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, another thing I'd like to bring up, I can't remember her name, but it was one of the stories off of the website um, where a woman, um, a, a guy basically flashed her and she chased him down. And because she was in the, had been in the Israeli military and was an expert in Krav Maga, basically took him down and hold him and was asking people to call 911 for her. And then nobody did. And she had to call 911 by herself. Um, yeah, that's her name is uh, Julie Baron Morrill, um, and she's awesome. Uh, I actually we did a um, a workshop in New York City earlier this year, and I got to meet her. And like you know, we did some Krav Maga together, and she's just so cool and like so just confident and really amazing in like what she teaches. That's awesome. So uh, you know, I think getting back to this, I think running is one of those special sports where we have for the most part an amazing community and i think communicating to that community to take a step up and be aware of what's going on and be ready to uh, lend assistance to anybody in any situation no matter what that situation is yeah yeah something that we had um written about actually was something called bystander intervention training um and it was like you know 
like you had said, like when no one's calling 911 and you're asking for that help, like we need to be aware that other people may need our assistance at other times and like be aware of the ways that you can effectively intervene without putting yourself in danger as well. Um, so like there's what's called the five D's and it's direct, distract, delegate, document, and delay. Uh, and they're, they all represent different ways that you can assist when, when you see something happening. You know, you can direct somebody, hey, you need to stop doing that. You know, you can distract somebody and like walk between, you know, somebody who is harassing another person or ask that person like, hey, do you need any help? Do you want to get out of here? That kind of thing. Um, you can delegate, you can involve other people, have somebody go get a park ranger or call 911. Um, you can document, you can film the incident and give that to the person who's being harassed. Um, and delay just means that you should check in with the person who was harassed after the fact and kind of see how they're doing because oftentimes that doesn't happen. And, you know, if you kind of experience something that's really jarring and no one checks in with you and acknowledges that it happens, that can be really upsetting as well. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. I, uh, also noticed those are <laughs> in scaling, uh, degrees of interactiveness, right? The yeah. very first D is the most direct thing that you can do. And then each of those allows for the bystander to have a comfort zone. Yeah, of what, of what totally. they do right And there. that's, you know, it's something that you have to be aware of, of, you know, like that the situation can change and you need to be just, you know, in touch with what you're comfortable with and what degree of interaction you want to have with the situation. Um, but, you know, some of them really don't require much from you just to, you know, film a situation on your iPhone or to, you know, check in with somebody after the fact. They're really, they don't require you to put yourself in danger, but um, it's a way that you can help still. And I think that, you know, f for myself, an easy way to, to help uh, someone that's maybe being harassed is just to put yourself in between the person harassing the other person and, mm -hmm. and just keep moving. Yeah, I like yep. the uh, the deflection method personally. Yep. I think most of, a lot of these situations, if you can get somebody just thinking in a different direction, uh, that'll diffuse many things. We experienced that with somebody who needed. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, we we run down on the waterfront in Portland, and uh, there, you know, unfortunately, a lot of uh, transient people down there. Uh, you know, situations that do need to be diffused and deflected. Mm -hmm. Uh, so with that, um, you mentioned, and I've already lost the, I didn't write down the name of the uh, Israeli takedown. Uh, awesomeness. <laughs> yeah. So actually I, I just made myself a note that I want to like back up and talk about that again, because yeah. um, Julie Baron Morrill was the Krav Maga instructor that we had talked to, but it wasn't the name of the woman who actually experienced the harassment. So I wanted to kind of correct myself on gotcha. that. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so and bringing that into the, the movie, Not Today, uh, and one of the main uh, focus points is Kelly and her role as a survivor and the training uh, or experience that she'd had in, in those moments. Um, but you also emphasized you want to make sure that people are comfortable and confident out there without necessarily having taken survival training. So maybe this is a good time to kind of bridge those two conversations. I mean, what are some of the things that can be done that are very simple and effective? And what are some of the more uh, specific things you can do to make sure that you can take control of a situation? 
Sure. And like, to be clear, I, you know, I had said earlier that like, we, you know, we don't want to tell women that you have to carry pepper spray or you have to have, you know, those like cat claw things that you put in between your fingers, uh, like to, you know, fight someone off if you are attacked. But at the same time, if those things are making you feel more comfortable in going out for a run and that's, what's like getting you out the door, then you should absolutely do that. You know, like, I don't want to discourage anyone from like, you know, doing what they need to do to feel safe and to feel confident and to feel like they're kind of in charge of their own personal space. So if those things feel good to you, then absolutely please do them. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to live in a world where you have to take pepper spray with you, or you have to learn how to, you know, fight off someone if they were to attack you, because in reality, that's not your responsibility to do. That should be the responsibility of the person attacking to not attack you. Right. Um, so yeah, I just want to, you know, make a note of that and make that really clear. Cause it's something that I feel really deeply about. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I appreciate that fine line that um, you're walking with that discussion because uh, we all feel that way as we want uh, everybody to safe feel safe, but it's our responsibility to create a world where everybody feels safe to go running in because running so awesome. Right. Exactly. And I'd love to bring open this up more towards um, the film that you were a big part in creating and talk, how did that come about and uh, what's the story behind that film? Sure. So, I mean, it kind of came about like in tandem um, with the Runners Alliance, like as we were talking about um, these, you know, really powerful stories. We So at the start of this, we had put out a survey um, to just kind of determine like the depth, the breadth of this problem and see who was affected. And as part of that, we had asked women to share their personal stories. Um, and we got so many stories from women um, that we're just like heartbreaking, you know, like it's just such a, such a problem that affects so many people in so like such personal ways, you know? Um, and we were trying to figure out how we can better tell those stories and show them. And, you know, we had the ability to walk, work with the documentary team. And so we said like, this is such an obvious fit for a documentary topic that this is definitely something that we want to do. Um, so we partnered with Josh Wolf, he was the director of the documentary. Um, and, you know, we kind of like outlined three stories of these women who had, you know, experienced basically the worst there is when they go out for a run um, and told their stories. And it's just so, um, it's wild. It's, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's uplifting. Uh, it's something I'm really proud of. But um, yeah, just to give you guys um, like a quick rundown of the documentary, like it focuses on three women. So Kelly Heron, Molly Tibbetts, and Wendy Martinez, who were attacked while running. Um, Kelly Heron was able to fight her attacker off and she, you know, survived that day. And Molly Tibbetts and Wendy Martinez did not. Um, so it follows their families and their friends and like just goes through um, what, what beautiful and important lives they had before this happened to them and the effects that this violence has had on their families and what their families and friends are doing to perpetuate their memories and to make sure they're not forgotten and to make the world a better place in their honor. And one of the things that uh, I got while I was watching is that it, the beginning you have almost a feeling of, of helplessness or hopelessness uh, because mm -hmm. they're, you know, so traumatic. Um, but 
I really respected the documentary and how it was able to draw that feeling out and and bring that level of of hope and and direction forward. Yeah, thank you. That's something that, you know, was really important to us to include that this wouldn't just be, you know, like showing that violence happens while running, but, you know, like it's it's painting a bigger picture than that. It's showing that, you know, like there is so much hope in the world and what people are doing to help and to change the world and to make things better for women who run. And uh, I'd like to expand on the documentary here. And then, you know, I encourage everybody to go uh, rent it and watch it. But I'd love to dive a little bit uh, deeper into each story one by one and and have you give kind of a brief synopsis and, and um, how you came about to choose this person to be in the documentary and, and, and what you felt um, was the, that heart or that nugget of that story for each person. I'd love to start with Kelly. Uh, to start off with? Sure. So Kelly, um, Kelly Heron, uh, it was running in Seattle and she stopped in the middle of her run to use a public bathroom at a local beach. And she was attacked by someone in that bathroom. Um, and she fought him off. Um, can I curse? Yeah. Oh yes. We, we curse all it. the time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. So she, you know, she fought him off while yelling, not today, motherfucker. Um, and that became kind of like her rallying cry as she fought this guy off. She was able to do that. She locked him in the bathroom and several people, you know, came, they called 911, um, and they were able to take that guy into custody. Um, but you know, not today, motherfucker has kind of become like her rallying cry beyond this, you know, like she, her GPS watch recorded, her movements in that bathroom as she fought him off. And, you know, she posted like a screenshot of that and it's wild. It's just this orange line, you know, all over the place. Um, but it really became um, this point that like women could rally around and talk about and identify with. That seeing that GPS uh, watch um, was really moving in just trying to understand how violent and crazy that situation must have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that Kelly had said was that she had taken um, a self-defense class through her work, you know, like a couple weeks prior to this. So like that information was like kind of fresh in her mind as she was having this experience. Um, so she, you know, that's something that's important to her at this point is to, you know, make sure that these self-defense classes are available to people um, who might want to take them. Yeah. And the importance that uh, in that moment, that was, you know, the immediate reaction she had was to go to that, that training that she had gone through. And I think that uh, that expression, not today, motherfucker, uh, encompasses a lot of different things. I mean, I'm sure that is a mentality that she took out on that run. She's got a long run that day. She's going to get that out there. She was willing to make sure that she's going to be uh, ahead in each of those scenarios. And when that moment came out, jack that up to a thousand percent. Um, so how do we, uh, you know, how, how do we use that to, um, then enable the, the remainder of the runners to really feel that empowerment, to get out there, to keep getting out there and then to make sure that we, you know, uh, attack head on that adversity. Sure. So, I mean, I think it's something that we can kind of all like take with us. Um, 
And it's something that, you know, I've, I've thought about this before and I've, you know, wondered how I would react in a similar situation, because I think it's not a thing that you necessarily know ahead of time. Um, but you know, from what Kelly has said, like she had said that, like, she didn't know that she would respond like this either, that she would have so much fight and so much, you know, like just fierceness ready within herself. Um, but when it came to that, like she had it and she, you know, fought as hard as she could. Um, and I think that's really inspiring, um, that like, you know, we all do kind of have this reservoir of fierceness and like self-protectiveness, um, that like, if you are placed in that situation that you can kind of draw on. Um, so I think that's something that like inspires me personally, and just the idea of not today, um, which, you know, that's a simple phrase, but it's also just so powerful. And that's why we ended up calling the documentary Not Today is because this is something that we are not willing to stand for, you know, like it's time that we move beyond this and it's, it's not today, you know? And I think there's one thing that we are all very good at as runners is, is breaking things down into little pieces. So for example, if we break a marathon down to, you know, three mile chunks, um, then it seems much more manageable. And we, and if we look at, um, this issue, if we, if we think about, uh, how to make things safe forever, um, sometimes that can be overwhelming to us mentally, but breaking Mm -hmm. it down to just not today. Right. Yep. You know, and then tomorrow's coming and then not today again. And it's, it's day by day that we just constantly improve the same way we constantly improve, uh, with our running. Definitely. And I think it's also important to kind of speak to that mentality. I, I think that when we have these ideas in our head and we all play out our own scenarios, you know, what would I do in that situation? And I think it's important to actually explore that internally because the more you think about what you might do, I think the more likely you are to actually do that in yeah. that moment. That is the reservoir that you're going to pull from. And uh, for Kelly, as an example, I'm not going to certainly speak to her as far as what she might have thought of scenarios, but she had a very specific direct example from just a couple weeks earlier. And clearly that was useful in that moment Um, in, you know, what she channeled forward. She didn't just take her emotions. She had known actions that she knew that would then take that emotion and put it into uh, some positive results. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that, you know, in the research for this piece, I had talked to experts about too, and they, had said like that power of like visualization, like it's, it's really powerful, you know, to have that kind of mental run through of what you would do if somebody were to attack you or to say something to you, like it just takes away another, you know, a level of doubt that you might have had otherwise and helps you enact what you want to happen. Well, and I think it's important for uh, bystanders the you know, all of exactly. us running out men out there, we, we need to visualize what we will do um, if we see someone being harassed or attacked, like we need to visualize if so that we know when we see it, this is what we're going to do. Yes, definitely. So let's um, move uh, on to the next story, which um, is both heartbreaking and then uplifting um, with Wendy and her fiance. Yes, man. Wendy's story is is tough. It is. Um, So Wendy was killed while she was running in Washington, D.C. And she was a couple blocks from her home, like in the middle of like a, you know, wide open street. There were people around and 
yeah, she was killed while she was running near her street in the middle of a wide open street with people around. Um, and it's, it's really tragic and it's heartbreaking. Um, and it was completely unexpected, obviously, you know, for her fiance who had been like waiting for her to come home with supplies for dinner that she had bought. Um, and they had just gotten engaged, you know, I think a week or two before that. Um, so that kind of adds another level of just how tragic the whole situation is. And uh, I think anytime a tragedy happens, the human instinct is to ask why. And it seems like it was just a, a random attack out of nowhere for no reason. Yeah, I think that's the case. I, I think um, that there was definitely mental illness involved in the person who attacked her. Um, I don't know you know, the specifics of his condition. So I don't really want to speak on that, but I yeah. think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And, um, her fiance, um, so she helped him, uh, run his first half marathon and then he, uh, has started a charity and ran, uh, the Boston marathon in, in the film. And can you talk about what, what he's doing now? Sure. So, um, um, so yeah, her fiance, Daniel, um, and a couple of her friends together formed the Wendy Martinez legacy project. Um, so they created that to empower women, um, in a couple ways, uh, and in a couple areas and it's women in technology, women's entrepreneurship and community strengthening, strengthening with a focus on running. Um, and they work with kids, they work with adults. It's a really like beautiful organization. Yeah, one of so my favorite moment in in the the film and uh, a, a joke between Nicholas and I is I I'm a crier I cry all the time when I'm watching <laughs> when I'm watching movies but the moment that Daniel gives his medal to the, to her mom was so beautiful. Yeah, yeah i I have seen this documentary um, a bunch of times <laughs> and I have cried every single time <laughs> that, that happens. <laughs> um. And as emotionally important as that is, uh, I also want to talk about the actual uh, moment itself in, in a focus of complacency. I don't know if that's the right word. Let me pull that back. Safety is actually what I'm looking for. I mean, you mentioned a wide open street. She was close to home. So many ways where that guard was just brought down. And how important it is that we have to keep our focus the entire time that we're out there. Um, because we don't, we can't just be two blocks from somewhere and feel more safe than we are 20 blocks. And, mm -hmm. and as bystanders be focused around, um, and keep an eye out for each other and what's going on. Um, because, you know, at any time someone, you know, can jump out from behind you or whatever, but exactly, as a community, yeah. if we can keep an eye out and watch out for each other and, and make sure we're all safe and focus on, you know, our society in general, how can we make sure uh, that our society is safe. You know, if this person had mental health issues, was he in a mental health institute and then let out because, you know, we have problems funding those or whatever. As a society, what can we do to make society safer for everyone? Right. I mean, it's it's a hard question, right? Because I think it's um, like on the issue of mental health in particular, it's broad structural change that needs to happen, that needs to treat mental illnesses like they're actually important and like, you know, like their top priority, basically. Um, so like, I think that's something important that we need to reorganize how we work as a society. And this isn't just within the running community, it's within, you know, 
our like human community as a whole. Um, so I think that's something that's really important. And, and also, like you had said, just, you know, the bystander awareness thing is just being aware of your surroundings and of your community and what you can do to make it better and more helpful and being, you know, all of our communities have different issues that are affecting them. So like, what can you do to improve the specific issues that your community is facing? Does your area have a problem with homelessness? How can you help with that? You know, like, does, is it a mental illness thing? Like, what can you do to improve that? So I think it's just being aware of the specific needs of your community as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the areas in Portland and specifically that uh, we struggle with is the homelessness is is definitely a challenge. And that is something that we need to look at in a lot of broader ways. But specifically to what we run into here is that the the boundary between public access and homelessness has shrunk. And we feel that when we're out on the course and specifically feel that as we talk about some of these interactions and we don't want to look at our community with um, distrust but at the mm-hmm. same time we have to be diligent and so balancing uh, what's out there and making sure that and then when we <laughs> making sure that when we are on the course that we are taking in everything and making sure that all of us are, are safely out there yeah yeah no I think I, I think that's a really good thing to mention too is that like you want to look on your own community with compassion as well that, you know, like it shouldn't be an adversarial relationship. Yeah. And it's really hard. I mean, we want to have uh, fair and adequate access to public resources. And oftentimes we have to go around that. And so, mm-hmm. how, you know, how do we look at that? Like you say, with compassion first. Um, but, you know, obviously we can have a whole different <laughs> podcast on, on where this goes into. But I think mostly for, uh, you know, again, just recognizing that the need to be in a safe environment um, is everywhere that we're outside at times now. And I'd also like to say that um, this is really powerful. And Taylor, I want to thank you for being one of the leaders in this is that one thing that we have recognized, we've heard over and over again with uh, many people on the podcast is that the the running community is often leaders for uh, society at large in general. Well, I certainly hope that, you know, we can spur broader societal change on this particular topic. Like <laughs> yeah. that would be a dream come true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so without uh, getting too far down into another topic, we still have uh, one other person that we, we definitely want to speak to as well. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about Molly's story. Uh, I was particularly touched by uh, her cousin's response. Um, so if you could maybe set up a little bit about, um, you know, why you focused in on Molly and what you found to be so moving. Sure. Um, so Molly Tibbetts uh, was from Iowa and she was killed while she was running by herself um, one night in Iowa. Uh, and, you know, all of these women like were people that we wanted to focus on um, for several reasons, because they had such strong and such moving stories. And also because, you know, their stories kind of like captured the interest and the attention and the heart of like the entire country. One Molly. Um, Molly disappeared and it was several days before they were able to find her body. Um, And during that time, there was a huge manhunt going on. And like, you know, like Morgan, who is her cousin, um, says in the movie, like they had formed kind of a like task squad task squad to look for her 
um, the day after she had disappeared and she showed up and she expected there to be, you know, a couple people there and the entire parking lot was just overflowing and there were cars parked down the road of all these people who had come out to look for Molly, to look for somebody who had disappeared from their community, you know? Um, so I think that is like just a really, a really powerful moment when you realize that like there are all these people that are pulling for you and that care about this topic. And I think that's what is really important is that when um, we need something or need help, if we lean into our community, it will often respond for us. Definitely. You ran into that yourself personally here just recently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in mentioning um, uh, her cousin, one of the things that uh, I really liked to see was the taking back of the moment of specifically putting herself out there to make sure that the um, ability to run and run where you want is still uh, available to her and not, not using this as a reason to um, no longer do something that you love. Yeah. And that was something that like is really beautiful about what Morgan had said in the documentary. And it's that, you know, like she had said that before Molly was killed, she mostly ran on the track, you know, like she didn't really want to like go out in the community, like didn't want to run along the roads. Um, but after, after Molly was killed, you know, like Molly had always been the one who like wanted to go out on the roads and like, you know, see new places and experience like the community while she was running. And Morgan kind of took that up and said, you know, like, I am doing this for her and I am doing this to show that, like, we should not be afraid and to remind myself um, that, like, this is, you know, this is all of our community and it's not something that we should be afraid to do. Yeah, I, I would like to really focus this kind of on that point. You know, if, if people are out there saying, oh, you shouldn't do this, it isn't safe, you shouldn't do that. Um, I, I think the appropriate response is, is well, fuck that. Women should be mm -hmm. able to do whatever they want, run wherever they want. And it's our job as society to make the society a safe place to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, the whole thing that we're trying to promote here is the idea that like running should be safer. Like it should, our communities should be safer for women and for anybody who is harassed. And that's like, you know, like I said, you shouldn't have to arm yourself to go out and run. You shouldn't have to like limit the places where you run to someplace that's only, you know, near your house or on a track or something like that. Like it's something that as a society, we need to all pull together and make happen. Absolutely. And I think uh, another thing that's important is, you know, in these examples, um, we had people, you know, very specific individuals who were probably, you know, they were struggling in their own various ways. And, you know, we mentioned some of the homelessness that, that we experienced, but that 84% I have to imagine includes a lot of people who consider themselves to be just normal average citizens making a, uh, an insensitive comment, staring a little bit too long, doing those um, ongoing micro aspects that can be just as detrimental. It definitely does. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, in that 84%, like um, I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing of the question we used and I have to look it up, but um, in general, it was, you know, whether you have been verbally harassed, whether you have been followed, whether you have been attacked. So it included a lot of things. And like you said, like that verbal harassment, I think there's a, still a huge misconception um, from like certain groups of men that catcalling or yelling at women um, is acceptable or it's a compliment. 
Um, and it's like, I'm not sure how to say it any clearer, but it is definitely not. Yeah. So, um, so like, you know, figuring out how we can change that idea and change that mentality that this is something that is actually, you know, a positive thing uh, in some people's minds, like is, you know, we need to, that needs to happen. Yeah. hundred percent. So I have two boys and one of, uh, I, I have a number one rule for them. And the number one rule is don't be a dick. Yeah. That's the number one rule. And I think it's very important for men out there listening. So if you uh, are con- conversing or around women runners, basically, if it's not in the vein of something you would say to uh, your daughter or your mom or, you know, your sister or your son, then, then don't say it. Right. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we can say that... Um, carry no burden with yeah. them. I think that's probably uh, the way that I would want to phrase it because words don't have to necessarily be malicious to carry impact. Yeah. And I think as the verbalizer, there's that level of justification. Well, you know, I, I, what I said was ultimately positive. Well, mm. yeah, but it wasn't invited. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't welcome. And that in and of itself, it makes something no longer non-benign. Absolutely. And to have somebody you know, make any sort of, you know, sexual comment or comment on your appearance or your pace or how strong you are or something when it's not invited like that. And especially if you don't know that person, like that's really upsetting. (laughs) And like, it just, you know, it gives you this feeling like you did something wrong, you know, and that's, it's not the case. It's, that's always the case that it's the person making that comment who is, you know, doing something wrong. Absolutely. And and it's a very selfish moment. I mean, if I were to take it from like my perspective, I might be genuinely interested in the jacket they're wearing because I just got drenched. (laughs) But that's not my moment to have that question with them necessarily. And even though that is something that is completely neutral, the, the ask is neutral, but the moment isn't. And I think that's the part that we often don't realize is you just, you know, Keep it to yourself at times. Pay attention to the tag. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) But that's, you know, like, I think there are a lot of situations. Like, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of men who get defensive about conversations like this will say, like, well, then I'm, am I not supposed to talk to people or something like that? And it's like, well, no, you can absolutely still have conversations, but you need to just be aware of, you know, A, what you're saying, how it can be construed, and also how it's being received. So, like, to ask someone, like, in, you know, like you said, like you were, you know, getting soaked or something and somebody's wearing a really nice jacket. Like it's okay to ask like, Hey, that looks like a really like great jacket. Like, especially when it's pouring down raining and you know, like it has a lot of context around it. Um, so like to ask for a gear recommendation in that situation, like that's probably cool. Um, but to, you know, have it like have weirdly sexual undertones or like say like, Hey, that jacket fits you really great. Like that's a different scenario, you know, than asking for a pure recommendation. No. And, uh, you know, we, the editorial, we of the, the male situation here, uh, we don't differentiate that very well. Yeah. Unfortunately. No. (laughs) So, uh, I think this is great. We're really focusing on, uh, what can be done and i'd love to know what are what's next for the runners alliance and what's next for you and uh what's next for the community and and you know where what can we do both as individuals 
as a greater community? And then what's next on uh, your plate within the Runners Alliance? Sure. Um, so kind of the next thing that we are working on um, is the Runners Alliance Ambassador Program. So one of the things that we have realized as we were kind of working through all this stuff, um, we originally published our first you know, thing in the Runners Alliance last October, I believe. Um, so it's been a year since that point. And, you know, during that time, we've been like looking to the future and seeing like what else, what areas haven't we covered? What more can we do? Um, and we've realized that, you know, we had focused on women like in our first iteration. And we realized that there are other communities that experience a lot of harassment as well that maybe weren't covered as as much as they should have been within that first iteration. Um, so in the next um phase of the Runners Alliance, we have the ambassador program, and we're stepping up a bit to focus on diversity and other communities that can experience harassment. Um, so whether that's racial diversity or, you know, sexual orientation or, you know, things like that, that's something, those are all things that we're considering in this. So we have five amazing ambassadors um, who are working with us and talking about their own personal experiences and the ways that the running community needs to improve to include people better and to therefore make it safer for all runners. That's awesome. So, and, and I mean, I can go through their names if you want, but I know you have Addie Bracey, who's going to be on an upcoming episode too. And she is one of our amazing ambassadors. She founded Outrun, which is a nonprofit that focuses on LGBTQ plus um, runners and how we can make the running community more welcoming to them. Yeah, we're really excited about that. So I think she will be a few episodes after this, but uh, looks super excited. She looks like an awesome runner. Um, and uh, we're really excited about that. And I absolutely love that like triple entendre name. That is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, do you have any big projects coming up for the Runners Alliance? Sure. So we've been working on like a series of panels that we've been doing at um, Runners World. We just had two. We had um, one that was focused on diversity in running, and it included um, two of our ambassadors. Uh, Jordan Marie brings three white horses, Daniel, who focuses on justice for indigenous women. Um, and then we also had Carolyn Sue on there, who um, runs the Diverse We Run Instagram account. You guys should absolutely check that oh, out. Oh, definitely. Um, but it kind of spotlights different um, athletes who are diverse in a bunch of different ways and who might not have been um, you know, seen in traditional media, like as recently as, you know, a couple years ago and even now. Um, so they were talking about diversity in running, um, along with a couple other panelists. And then we also had one, um, on LGBTQ runners that Addie Bracey was a part of, and also another of our ambassadors, Latoya Shante Snell. Um, and it's just been like super productive to be able to have these conversations online. We've been having them over zoom. Um, so it's like a webinar type situation, but um, it's just, you know, like, it's awesome. Like, I wouldn't expect that to be a word that I would use in COVID <laughs> times because these are absolutely things that we would love to do in person. But the fact that we're able to do them online, like just brings a whole new level of accessibility to it, that people are able to do this to tune in on their lunch break or to, you know, check in like when from their house whenever they're like home so it's it's just really cool that we're able to do that yeah and i've found something odd uh that has happened from covid in a positive aspect is it seems like we've been really able to focus more on the important 
important things in life and the big things in life. And uh, have you felt that with the things you're trying to do? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, like at first, I think it was like kind of a just a really destabilizing thing where like everything was just just seemed pretty like overwhelming and confusing. Um, but then I think we got some clarity as things went on. And like there was, you know, a lot of people, especially at the beginning of COVID, but also now who have like since gotten into the sport because, you know, maybe your gym is closed and um, but you can go outside and there's no other people outside and it's something that's safe to do. So I think like COVID was actually like, um, I don't want to say that it was good for running because I don't think that's true, but I think it like introduced a lot of people to running as a sport and to also, you know, through that, through these issues that we've been talking about with the runner's Alliance. Uh, I experienced that directly. Actually, I had a friend of mine that reached out just a few days ago. Got to start running. I got to <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> do something. He was uh, much more of, uh, you know, the gym mentality. And yeah. you know, so, uh, which is great because I think long-term this is going to be better for him anyway. So he made the right choice. Awesome. <laughs> and before we let you go, what do you have personally on the books with, uh, do you have any virtual runs coming up or anything you're training for next year? I've got my first full marathon on the books for next year. Uh, what do you have coming up? You know, guys, I have. Um, one event every year that gets my full attention. Uh, it is my absolute, you know, a level event, and that is the Halloween 5k in my town. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And, um, it's amazing because they, um, it's run at night, um, right before the Halloween parade that goes through town. Uh, so there are like thousands of people lining the streets and you do it in costume. Um, so I have with a friend, I have, uh, one best costume for three years now. Oh my God. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I hope you got a trophy. Thank you. It's, it's a, you know, something I am highly competitive about. Uh, but yeah, that's something that I'm really looking forward to next year. Cause there are so many people like cheering for you and so excited. It's the most high energy event like I've ever been involved in. And it's just so much fun and it's ridiculous because you're running in whatever costume you have, you know, this year I was a jellyfish. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. so <laughs> I had an umbrella, of course this year it was like COVID rules. So it was during the day and you like there were no people on the course or anything like that. You started every like minute or so it was kind of like a time trial situation. So it was different, but I'm looking forward to hopefully that being able to come back next year and to do that. So uh, I do have uh, hopefully a a real quick follow-up to that. What makes a championship winning running costume? Uh, Well, but don't give away your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) I would say it's the level of attention to detail and absurdity. Okay. Uh, those are like both it. important things. Um, generally like my, I do it with my friend Hattie and we have a costume that's like connected to each other. The mm-hmm. first year we were the train, we have a train that comes through town and is like a, you know, it's a big Emmaus thing. The town I live in is called Emmaus. Um, but so we, um, had a playlist of train sounds that we routed through a speaker on the train. We had cardboard boxes that we were in. We had lights. So you had uh, electricity set up. <laughs> well, it's not quite electricity. It's battery powered, but um, same yeah. thing. Same thing. Same. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So and then also um, 
it has to appeal to kids. So last year we were the um, Slinky Dog from Toy Story. Oh, perfect. So good. Yeah. <laughs> also lit up and had music with it. So. Well, you've, you've set the tone with the music and lights now. You can't let that. that that's got to happen every year. I love exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> so my favorite thing about this is that um, the thing you're looking most forward to is literally almost 12 months away. Right. Like, like you just, just it just happened and you're already looking forward to it. Right. Yep. It is my favorite event of all time, I think. I love that. I hope everybody has theirs. Ours is the Hood to Coast. The day after the Hood to Coast, we're planning for next year. Right. When is when is the Hood to Coast? It's the weekend before Labor Day. Gotcha. And uh, it's so much fun. Yeah. It just uh, and and that group thing, because you're in a you're two vans. Right, that's a relay, right? Two, yeah. Two groups. Correct. You got six people in a van. Does not smell good. <laughs> everybody's you know handing off it's a lot of fun well i uh am super excited for next year you'll have to send us a photo of your costume next year and okay. um i hope that you get it do you get a trophy every year for the best costume uh, there is no trophy no but it's cash prizes which oh I'll better <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna throw out the uh hazmat people from monsters incorporated oh that's a good year. one <laughs> One of my favorite films. Well, Taylor, we cannot thank you enough. Um, we will have all of the places for people to go in the show notes to watch the documentary, to see the Runners Alliances, um, all of the charities that have put into place uh, for the people uh, featured in uh, Not Today, and can't thank you enough. And before we let you go, uh, give you a chance to plug all the different things that you would want to make sure people are aware of. Sure. I mean, like you had said, like I think these uh, kind of links in the bio would be really great. But like, I would really just encourage everybody to visit runnersworld.com slash runners alliance and also runnersworld.com slash not today to access the documentary. You can rent the documentary or you can request a free screening copy. Um, we ask that, you know, you provide the name of a group or something that you're with um, that you can discuss the documentary with, because that's really what we're hoping for from this documentary is to have people watch it, talk about it, bring it to other people and kind of like use it as a jumping off point for conversations about runner safety. Um, so that is an option and you can get it free if you do that. But yeah, I, I would love it if you guys can check out the Runners Alliance. If you sign up for our newsletter, you'll get, uh, you know, emails every so often that kind of are just updating you about where we're at, what we're doing next and any events that are coming up. Love it. I've signed up for that. Uh, great stories are coming through. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I hope you have a great day and I hope your next run is awesome. Yes, you too. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. But thank you. You know, it's, it's hard to hear these stories, uh, but it's important that we it talk is. about them. And I think that it's really important that we recognize the role that we all play in those moments. Um, unfortunately, the only one of the stories really involved a community that was able to be there and it, it didn't ultimately help because the injury was too severe. Yeah. That level of diligence is really what struck me. Yeah. And we all need to be more diligent. I need to be more diligent when I'm out on the course, uh, being aware of my bubble, uh, yeah. running, uh, around, uh, people, uh, women who might, you know, need some extra bubble to not be surprised. And then also be aware of, uh, especially when down the waterfront, you know, there are some dicey situations down there and, and we need to keep our eye out and make sure that uh, we are a productive bystander. And also, I think it's really important that we are just really aware of what we think is benign isn't always. Yeah. And it's because it's not just the action. It's the action and the moment. 
Mm-hmm. We always have to put those two together. And I, uh, one thing I'm really looking forward to when we can get past COVID, uh, it would be great as we expand our running group and uh, all get together and, and watch uh, this film as a, as a group and discuss. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, making a conscious effort to be interactive on every run. What is the little thing I can do this one day to maybe make something a little bit better? Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a challenge out there. There's that, I, I, I picked the word impede very specifically. I mean, we're seeing that, in, in, you know, the homeless camps are, are really taking it over and, yep. and trying to find that line between compassion and I want to use the space too. Yeah. And not only that, but, you know, as uh, white male 50 year olds, we don't feel as threatened out on the course as, uh, you know, someone smaller or, or uh, a woman running by that um, doesn't have, uh, you know, the physical presence or something. And it's just not fair. It's, it's really not. And we um, add to that when we think about each of us as a runner talking about how we use this as a way to escape the day. Yeah to get lost in our thoughts, to focus in on something other than the run itself. And yet that's what we're talking about here. So we have to, we have to find that balance. Yeah. So uh, I think going forward, we have to ask ourselves, how can we all make this world a better place uh, for each other? And, you know, uh, maybe it's this thing where we reach out and we start a dialogue with uh, the Portland authorities. Uh, I think that's a great idea that we can work together with how we can be better um, public people, better, yeah. I don't want to say servants, but mm-hmm. just better contributors to the society advocates. that we're out there. Yeah, better advocates as well, but also, you know, what are, what are we doing? You know, how are we making this a better spot? Yeah. And it is a delicate balance. You know, we had Judge Craig Mitchell, who is dedicating every day to help uh, homeless people get off the streets and move into a better society. And we have to recognize that uh, letting people camp wherever they want it, is not part of that goal. That doesn't help the homeless community um, move from homelessness to to having homes and being uh, back as part of society. It, it really doesn't. And, uh, you know, I, I was um, really holding back from getting too personal out of uh, Taylor's storyline. Yep. But, uh, you know, we're working directly with a uh, nonprofit here in Portland that not related to running but related specifically to these advocacy mm-hmm. functions. And um, there's a lot of parallel between what's going on here. And one of the things that uh, most recently came out was understanding that many of the people that are experiencing homelessness or houselessness uh, have had a series of unexpected setbacks. And they're not these um, derelicts yeah. or these uh, you know people that we want to be able to assign negative connotations to. I mean, there are our fellow human beings that yeah. have probably found some really, really hard times. And the worst part about it is it's the hardest thing to get out of. Yeah. So hard to get out of. And so, um, you know, for people out there, don't misconstrue that we want to have a productive way to get uh, people back into society and, and, and back into homes. That's not it. But at the same time, we need to balance that safety issue for our running community. Exactly. And, and our larger community in general. Right. Because um, it's, it, that's that interconnectivity I mean, I think I just made that word. Actually, <laughs> by the way. Like, don't let me get past that. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously we focus at, on runners. That, that's our focus here. That's why we have a podcast, but we can't just point at the problem. We have to be a part of the solution. And, 
I think one of the things that is difficult as we see problems out in the world is there's so many problems and so many things to take care of that uh, we become overwhelmed and that being overwhelmed makes us do nothing. And one of the things that I have learned um, through, uh, for example, people like Judge uh, Craig Mitchell is just choose one thing. Right. So uh, bringing this podcast to the end, I, I would encourage everybody to just choose one thing that you can do to make uh, your community a better place to be in, just that one thing, and then commit to that one thing. I think that's an excellent commitment. And it's something that if you incorporate that into your running, what is what is the one thing that you can do while you're out there? Now you're doubling up on uh, two good things. You're, you're taking care of yourself. Yep. And you're also being a, a good contributor to society. Uh, but in order to really do that, you got to get out there, keep putting it in the miles and keep being an old crazy runner. <laughs>